are in 1 Peter chapter 4 this morning. 1 Peter chapter 4. It reads as follows. The end of all things is at hand. We'll stop right there. That's all we're getting through today. That's all we're going to get through. Those one, two, three, four, five, six, seven words. The end of all things is at hand. Now, Peter is writing this letter, and Peter, as he writes this letter to us, often makes these statements, these sentences. He says things like, the last times, the end of all things. Well, that's a question. In Peter's mind, how's the world going to end? Now, in America, we have all kinds of ways we think the world's going to end. I have my favorite. I have my favorite. Um, in my house, there's something I say all the time. Whenever, I, whenever I'm talking about, like, prepare, in my, no, no lie, I, 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 keep, I keep our vehicles always above half a tank of gas. And whenever they get underneath, I get a little stressed, I get a little nervous. And I will say, no lie, I say, I say it all the time in my house. Whenever I talk about being prepared for bad times, I say, babe, I'm going to fill a tank of gas up just in case the zombies come. I say it all the time. I watched too many of those movies as a kid. It got in my mind. I'm always like, ooh, ooh. Now, nowadays, the, the fun one is like Terminator, end of the world, right? Technology, Skynet, AI, stereo. AI is a weird thing. I was talking about a Kenyan brother of mine, and uh, I, I went to college with this guy. He's a Kenyan brother. And I asked him, can I pay your company to design something for me? He goes, bro, you don't got to pay us. AI will design it for you. And he showed me, he put in what I wanted into the computer, and it spit out an image. And I'm like, Arnold's coming. Like, it, it's, like, it's like literally Terminator's going to happen. So there's all, and, and some movies say environment's going to blow up and get us. There's all kinds of these end-of-the-world scenarios. But Peter, when Peter says the end of all things is at hand, he has a specific thing in his mind. Peter believes that God Almighty is going to someday come and deal with sin fully and finally. The Bible says, it describes the... So, Noah's flood happens. God promises, I will never destroy the world with water again. Well, next time it ain't water. It's fire. Judgment of sin will finally happen. What does that look like? Well, Peter talks a lot, a lot about the last times. I want you to know what he means when he says these words. When he says, the end of all things at hand, what is he talking about? The first thing you got to know is this. For Peter, for Paul, for Luke, for Matthew, in their thinking, the birth of Christ is the beginning of the end. For them, the birth of Christ is the beginning of the end of everything. 
There's a reason. When Christ was born, there were a lot of angels in Bethlehem when Christ was born. Now, there's a finite number of angels in the world. And like most angels wanted to leave their post and be in Bethlehem that night. They wanted to leave their post in Mexico or America or in Europe. They wanted to be near Bethlehem because that night when Christ came into the world, it was the culmination of all God's promises. Everything God promised to bring to humanity was finding its fulfillment in Nazareth. The birth of Christ is the beginning of the end. In our, so what year is it? 2023, right? That's true, isn't it? You give me a look, Allie. I thought I was wrong. I'm like, come on, Allie, help me out. Um, listen, it's 2023 A.D. Anno Domini, the year of our Lord. If you go beyond A.D., it's called B.C., which means for Christ. Literally, our calendar system is divided based upon when Christ enters into the world. People realize that Jesus changes everything. Jesus comes into the world and nothing is the same afterward. Before Jesus, people thought gods lived in temples. The Jews believed that the God of heaven lived in a temple on Jerusalem Hill. After Christ, we realize something very important, that God does not dwell on a temple on Jerusalem Hill, that God dwells in the hearts of those who love him. Everything changes. It used to be to come near to the God of Almighty. To come near to God Almighty, you had to go through a mediator. I was in India, went to this really fancy Hindu temple. Beautiful, gold, ornate. Architecturally, it was incredible to behold. You walk up all the stairs, you go into the inner sanctum of the God's lair, and there's priests there. They're dressed in holy robes. On the wall in Hindi, there's a list. Prayer for a job. Prayer for a relative. Prayer for a child. I like to have babies. And next to all of those rites and rituals, there was a number. How many rupees it cost to get that prayer. That's what it was. People would come there and if they wanted to approach the gods, they could not go to the gods themselves. They had to go to the priests. And the priests made their money. People used to think that in order to come to the God of heaven, to come to any god anywhere, if I want to come to something powerful in the world, I have to go through some kind of holy person to get there. Well, then the Christ comes. And under this new covenant of Christ, Christ reveals that any fool can just, we can really trip into God's throne room. Adulterous women found at wells can stumble into God's presence. Lepers, people who are sick and are ostracized from society, the untouchables of the world 
can come near. Tax collectors, drunkards, God swings the door wide and it blows everybody away. The coming of Christ changes everything. And so the apostles call. Because Christ has come, they say, man, the beginning of the end has happened. We're living in this new age. The kingdom is already and not yet. So they call this period we live in. They call it the end times. Listen, I'm going to 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 20. He says this. He says, Christ was foreknown before the foundation of the world, but appeared in these last times for the sake of you. He says, listen, Christ was around forever. His coming marks the beginning of the last times. We live on the edge of the end. Christ coming into the world, the end has begun. Okay, so just so you know, when Peter says the end of all things is at hand, he means Christ has come and God's promises have come into reality and it's happening right now. Right now it's happening. The end of all things is at hand. It goes on. You see, the birth of Christ is the beginning of the end. But the second coming of Christ is the end of the end. The second coming of Jesus is the end of the end. So Christ came, but according to Peter, Christ is going to return. I go to 1 Peter 1.7. He says this. So the proof of your faith, being more precious than gold, which is perishable, even though tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. This phrase, at the revelation of Jesus Christ, Peter repeats it over and over and over again. Verse 13, Therefore, having girded your minds for action, being sober in spirit, fix your hope completely on the grace to be brought to you. When? At the revelation of Jesus Christ. Peter's saying, listen, Someday, Christ is going to reveal himself in his fullness. The first time Christ came, he, was kind of, he kind of revealed his humanity to the world. But we didn't get to see his godliness, that he was truly God. Peter, James, and John saw it once, and it freaked them out. On the mount it says that Christ was transfigured before them and all they saw was blinding light. And they fell to worship and said, we need to build a monument here because God came to earth. They saw Christ for a moment in his glory. They're like, we have seen the Lord. Freaked them out. We have seen Christ meek and mild. We saw Christ born in a stable, right? Born the children of blue-collar workers, born, raised essentially in the city of Flint, Israel. You know what I'm saying? Nazareth. What good thing you come out of Nazareth? That's where he was raised. We've seen him meek. But when he reveals himself again, when he comes again, he will come in power. Clothed in authority. My brother, Antonio, Tony. 
he's a big dude. He's big like me. We're big old dudes. My bro- the Lord's done a work in my brother's life. He, for a, lo- for a few, many years, my brother uh, really loved to get in fights in bars. And the Lord did a work in his life, and he's like, i got to stop fighting in bars. Um, but as is, his, as is the custom of ex-bar fighters, he missed the old life. I miss fighting in bars. So what do he decide? You know, I'm going to go ahead, and I'm going to start fighting in the ring. And he starts fighting in, like, UFC, like the octagon, mixed martial arts. Starts going to the gym, training, and one day he's like, you know, I'm going to fight for real in front of people. And so they give him his first fight. And we go to Pontiac, I think we go to the Crowfoot or something, he's going to fight some guy. And I'm his brother, I'm nervous for him, right? Because sparring is one thing. Sparring with like a buddy at the gym, you know, dude, dude, oh, you got me. That's your, it's your buddy. Fighting a stranger, and his family's there, and his friends are there. He don't want to lose. He wants to cut your head off. That's scarier. So he's going to fight this guy. Now, his name, his fighting name back in those days was the Mexicutioner. You can't make it up. And he goes to fight. So I go backstage to see him, and I'm stressed. I'm nervous for my brother. He's a little nervous. It's his first fight in front of people. The whole church, like a bunch of church shows up. Like, so we're at this bar, and it's half, like, the church crowd and half the bar crowd. It's hilarious. Um, <laughs> um, so we're there. I go backstage, and I'm like, Tony. He's like, yeah, I'm like, dude, punch me in the face. He's like, why don't I? Because I, I, I box, but I've never, I've never been punched with the uh, UFC gloves. Like, I want to see how, how soft these gloves are. Give me a hit. He goes, how hard? I'm like, 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 don't give me a love tap. Give me something for real. Give me, give me some heat. He's like, okay. So I stand there. He's like, let me tell you something. Not boxing gloves. Those UFC gloves have barely, there's, all it does is not, it helps you not break your hand is all it does. He tagged me. I saw stars. The, those mitts are, that's strong. He tags me. And I'm like, oh, I'm like, okay, Tony, you can win this fight. So he goes out there to fight. And here's the thing. Everybody at our church, all they knew of my brother, my brother is a big teddy bear, okay? He gives some of the best hugs on the planet. My brother will keep, he'll scoop you up and give you a big old hug. I love it, dude. I love it. He's a good hugger. So all the church crowd, I only know Tony is the hugging, Jesus-loving teddy bear. Well, he walks to the ring, takes his glasses off, and when he walks in the ring, a teddy bear does not walk into that ring. He had a face of a fighter. He walked in there. Usually there's, me and Tony both, if you, if you see us driving, if you see us walking, we have a smile pretty much always, a, a lightness, a smile, a laugh. There was no smile, no laughter anywhere on his face. A killer walked into that ring. And some of the girls from church were like, Tony, I didn't even recognize you. You look so mean. They had only seen the teddy bear. They never saw the wild animal raising the streets of Flint. They never saw that guy. And he went in there. And at first, you don't know what to do. You're in your first fight, and you're kind of like just jabbing, like respect, like, are you powerful? Are you strong? Oh. Well, the guy gives Tony a jab. Boop. And Tony goes, oh, that didn't hurt. <laughs> like, oh, I'm safe. Tony jabs that guy. And I, I'm watching the fight. I see Tony jab the guy. And you see him. It's, it's, it's a little, just a little tiny, just a little jab, a little love tap. And the guy's face just sinks because he knows I'm going to die in this ring. <laughs> he realizes I'm fighting a gorilla. Why did I say yes to this? And uh, he won that fight. He beat that guy to a pole. It was awesome. Um, but uh, my point is everyone knew the teddy bear and no one knew the animal. 
A lot of times Jesus, Jesus, meek, mild, loving, and he's all, God is love. But a lot of us don't mistake his gentleness for weakness. We know Jesus the lamb, don't forget he's also the lion of Judah. When he returns, he will reveal himself in his fullness, in his glory. And it says, when the world sees Christ with the the fire of his glory upon him, every knee will bow, every tongue confess. That does not mean, does not mean people are like, okay, how do you say it? When it says every knee bows and every tongue confesses, some will bow out of love and adoration. There are people who hate Jesus, mock Jesus, don't believe in Jesus, and even they will fall down because they will see his power and they won't be able to help but fall down at his authority. Every knee shall bow, every tongue confess, either out of adoration or out of fear. He's gonna re- when he comes back and reveals himself in his glory, Tell, listen, that's how the world ends. When Christ returns, when Christ returns, that's the end of this place as we know it. That's the end. So when Peter says, the end of all things at hand, he says, Christ has already been born, the end has started. But Peter's also, he's like, but man, I long for Christ to return. He, Peter, Paul, all these guys, they hoped to live long enough to see Christ come back. They did. They wanted to see Christ in generation. So what do we do? What do we do is we wait for Christ to, to come back. This is what we do. We wait and remain ready for his return. I go to 1 Peter 5, verse 4. Peter says, when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. When Christ comes back, you who are faithful will receive a reward. Now, where does Peter get that idea that if he returns to find you faithful, he will reward you for your faithfulness? He gets that idea from Christ himself. We're supposed to be waiting for Christ in a position of readiness. Christ is going to be ready, and when he comes back, I want to be waiting and ready for him. I go to a a teaching of Jesus found in Luke 12. We're going to spend the rest of our time in this passage in Luke 12. Luke 12, 35. Listen to what Christ says about being ready for his return. Christ says, verse 35, Gird up your loins and keep your lamps lit. Meaning, tighten up your belt and keep the gas tank half full. Be ready. When I go home, after a hard day, I often take off the belt and put it over, just put it away because I'm like, I'm here to relax. But when, when I'm, I'm belted, you know what the pants do? They sag, right? If something bad were to happen, the dog got outside, so I'd run out the dog with no belt. I would hold up my pants with one hand. Oh, doggy. Right? He says, listen, Jesus goes, you get the belt on. You ready to run? Have the belt on. Make sure the, 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 the car is half full. Be ready. Why? He goes this. Verse 36. He goes, and be like men who are waiting for their master when he returns from the wedding feast 
that they immediately may open the door to him when he comes and knocks. You need to be like a servant who's waiting for the owner of the house to come home. Even if he comes home late, you're ready for him. When he shows up, you're holding the door like, welcome back, sir. Blessed are those servants whom the master will find awake when he comes. Truly, I say to you, he will gird himself to serve and have them recline at the table and will come up and wait on them. Whether he comes in the second watch of the night or even the third watch of the night and finds them so, blessed are those servants. Blessed are those servants who are not found unaware, who are waiting and ready for Jesus. He says this, be sure of this. If the head of the house had known at what hour the thief was coming, he would not have allowed his house to be broken into. It makes sense. If I came home today and there was a note on my door and it said, Mr. Outler, Mr. Alanese, I'm the neighborhood thief. I'm going to rob you on Tuesday at 11. And I'm like, okay. I'd borrow, I'd borrow a couple of pit bulls from the neighborhood, right? I'd have some home alone traps waiting for him. If I knew he was coming, I'd be ready for him. But he says, you don't know. It's not announced you've got to be ready. He says, verse 40, you too be ready. For the Son of Man is coming in an hour you do not expect. So Peter says, the same guy who wrote our letter, Peter says, Lord, are you addressing us or everyone else as well? Peter's like, are you talking to me? And Christ says, listen. Who then is the faithful and prudent steward whom his master will put in charge of the other servants to give them their rest at the proper time? Blessed is the servant. Blessed is that servant whom his master finds so doing when he comes. Truly I say to you that he will put him in charge of his, all his possessions. But if that servant says in his heart, my master will be a long time in coming and begins to beat the male and female servants and to eat and drink and get drunk, then the master of that servant will come on a day when he does not expect and an hour he does not know and will cut him in pieces and assign him a place with the unbelievers. Woo! Here's what it says. Some servants are waiting for the master to come home. Other servants go, man, the master, he, he, took, out a, he, he, he took a lot of um, food with them. He's been gone a long time. It's party time. I'm going nuts. And I'm going to abuse the master's servants. I'm going to abuse, the, I'm going to eat all the food. I'm going to live a drunken fool. That's what I'm going to do. Now, if you have teenagers, sometimes parents go out of town. And the parents always give rules when they go out of town to their teenage kids. They say, no one can come over while I'm gone. No parties, right? No parties while I'm gone. Well, my mom went out of town once. And uh, told my brother, Tony, no parties. And I guess in his mind, he thought, man, mom's going to be gone for 10 days. I can party this weekend, clean for a week. She'll come home, and no one's any the wiser. That's the plan. So I'm talking to mom on the phone. She's telling me, hey, I'm coming home early. Go tell Tony. Okay, I'll go tell Tony. So I drive home. I'm, I'm, me and Angie are dating at the time. We're dating. Not even, I don't know if we're engaged or not, but we're definitely dating. And we drive, we drive home, and I'm driving, I pull in, and I'm coming around the corner to my mom's house. I see the house, and they're, 
literally, I gasp at what I see when I come around the corner. The lawn is full of beer bottles. On the rail of my mom's porch are just red solo cups lined up. So I pull in the driveway and I'm sitting there and I'm just like, and we're just quiet. I'm like, Angie, you wait here. I got I to go face the lawn. I get out of the car, I go inside, and because the floor is a cheap linoleum, when you spill beer on linoleum, you know what happens, right? It's just like, it's just sticky everywhere. I'm looking for my brother. Open up doors, looking for Tony. He's not. I open the room, there's some random guy. I'm like, are you Tony? Get out of here. I'm waiting for people out of the house. I'm just like, get out of here. So I'm just clearing the house of random people. Finally, find Tony. I'm like, what are you doing? Oh, I got plenty of time. Mom's coming next weekend. I'm like, Mom's coming home Tuesday, bro. And it's stinking Sunday. And he's like, for real? I'm like, that's why I'm here, bro. Mama's coming. And the house is jacked. These brilliant Einsteins filled the bathtub with ice with a keg in the bathtub. Well, guess what ice does? It melts. The keg floated down and then slid to the the front and scraped off the enamel of the bathtub ground. I mean, there's vomit in one of the, the... The house is destroyed. My mama's house. <laughs> so my brother's like, dude, we, we got to help me. I'm like, Psh, psh. So I say, Dar- darling, you don't have to, but could you help us? So we go buy all this supply stuff. And I go buy some things to fix some things that are broken. I'm like, can you stay here, Angie, and clean this? Listen. Listen. I just want her to know what she's getting into, marrying me. It's like, there's no, there's no mysteries. If you marry me, you inherit all of this. <laughs> this is my family. Welcome to the party. Um, so... Unbelievably, she, she cleans it, and we fix it. And Mama comes home, and no one's the wiser. A few weeks later, my Mama comes up to Tony. She goes, hey, mijo, come here. And mijo in, in Spanish is like a, my son, my hijo, mijo. But mijo, it means a, it's a term of endearment. Like when my mom says to me, come here, mijo, I'm like, oh, I love this. Like, it's, it's, like a, it's a warm little kid huggy thing. Mijo, come here. What's up, Mom? She's like, did you have any royal work while I was gone? No, Mama. (laughs) Well, one of Tony's buddies grabbed my mom's camera and started getting pictures of the party. There are selfies, and in the background is Tony like, like just, I mean, he, like, she just throws the photos on the table. Like, blood out. Like, you done been caught. I want to say this to us. A lot of us live our lives and we assume mama ain't coming home till next weekend. So we live our lives foolishly, selfishly, sinfully. We do our thing with, you know what? I'll fix my stuff. I will repent. I will confess. I will get right. I will do what God called me to do. I'll do it later. I'll do it next weekend. And we just do our own thing, thinking we have all the time in the world, not knowing how much time we actually have. 
And it says in the word, he says, listen, I'm coming at an hour you don't know when. You have to be ready. We live as though we can trick God. Listen. No, you can't. You can't. We have to wait and remain ready for his return. Whatever he made us to do, we have to be about our father's business. And we're all different. We all have been given different things to do. Last week at the first service, we had a, we had a new guest and I met her. I asked her, how did you hear about Flint City Church? And she told me. She's a teacher. And a lady from our church is also a teacher. And they met at the school they're teaching. And she's like, I've been away from God for all these years. And this lady in my school lives her faith out, talks about her Jesus. She began praying for me. And I'm here because she brought me here. God called her to be a teacher. God called her to bear witness of Christ in that environment. And her faithfulness is bringing, is bringing gospel fruit. Now, did Peter and Paul see Christ's return? No, they didn't. They didn't. Christ did not come back in Peter's lifetime or in Paul's lifetime. See, Rome burned. They said a third of the eternal city burned down in a night. And Emperor Nero needed a fall guy, a scapegoat. So he said, you know who it was? It was those stinking Christians. They burned this place down. And so you know what he did? He killed Peter. Peter wanted to be there when Christ came back, but Nero killed him. They say that the Romans crucified his wife. And Peter sat at the foot of his dying wife, and all he said to her as she suffered was, Remember the Lord. Remember the Lord. When she finally died, it was time for him to die, and he said, If you're going to crucify me, crucify me upside down. I do not deserve to die the same way my Savior did. They crucified him upside down, and he died. The crowds loved it, so Nero said, what do I, who else do I got in prison? They said, you got Paul. Well, Paul was a Roman citizen, so you couldn't crucify him because he was, he was a Roman citizen. He had too many rights. So they killed him Roman style. They cut his head off. Peter and Paul did not live to see Christ come back. No one born over the last 2,000 years has seen the coming of the Christ. Every generation hopes to be the one to see Christ return. I hope to see it. If Christ came back before I died, man! <sighs> but if he doesn't, if Christ doesn't come back here, listen, we will go to him. <sighs> Miss Tammy, who we've been praying for as a church for a while, she was in a coma for 10 days, we thought, and she was on the edge of death. She said, she goes, you know, Pastor, in all this time, in all the darkness, there were angels with me, holding me. She, she, it's, it's unreal to hear a testimony of what God did for her, even while she was in a coma. We may not 
He might come to us, but we're going to go to him. And I, there's... I graduated two weeks ago, and uh, they called my name, and I walk across the stage, and they had to put this weird, like, um, circular robe on me, like all fancy pants. So I walk up, and the guy who's the, the robe guy, the guy who puts the robe on you, it's a really, like, it's a very, um, hot, everyone's in crazy robes. It's a really fancy building. I'm walking up. And the dude who's doing the robes is one of my old teachers, Dr. Moreau. And I'm walking to him, and I'm going to go and kneel, and he's going to do the thing. And he sees me, and he just puts his arms out. And I just, like, I just give him a hug, and he gives me a hug and wraps me up. And he just, no one, you know, there's no mic or anything. He just tells me, you know, you did it. And it meant a lot to me because it was a hard road. And that, that old man, he, was, he retired that day. And he was proud of me. And he told me so, and it meant a lot to me. I went to my seat, and I felt the, just the weight of like this person whom I esteem, whom I respect. This person told me, good job. And it means the whole stinking world to me. Thank you. When we, whether Christ comes to us or we go to him, there is this phrase, this sentence, every believer dreams and prays to hear at the feet of Jesus. Well done, thou good and faithful servant. So that old professor gave me that hug and gave me that blessing. It is our prayer as followers of Christ that whatever job he gave us to do, when he returns or we return to him, we are found faithful of the work he's called us to. It doesn't have to be big. It doesn't have to be famous. Listen, I have this bookshelf over here, okay? And we, we do a thing called the Flint City Book Club. Um, this, this is the bookstore right over there. That's our awesome, look how awesome our bookstore is. It's one shelf. <laughs> Every book on the shelf costs 10 bucks, okay? We have some that are books on marriage, some books on like, a healthy boundaries for living. We have our next month books up there. Well, one of the books up there is, is a book called The Meaning of Marriage by Tim Keller. Tim Keller is like 75 years old, and he died this week. He's a pastor in New York City, and he had pancreatic cancer, and he, he passed away on Thursday, Friday. For 60 years of his life, no one knew his name. He was a guy toiling in New York, just quietly, faithfully loving sinners. In the last 15 years, his books kind of like, they're not, he's not Joel Osteen famous, you know what I'm saying? Most of you go, Tim Keller, Tim who? We don't know. But he was a little bit famous in the church world. When I heard he died, I heard a eulogy for him. I was moved to tears mainly because that 75-year-old man was faithful for all the years God gave him. Very few of us finish well. We give up, we get selfish. It's, my, it's me time, it's my time. What about me? Listen, Christ is going to come back and he tells us we must be ready and waiting for his return. So I encourage you, be ready. 
whatever he gave you to do, get busy doing it. Stop waiting. Stop making excuses. Stop throwing parties assuming mom ain't coming home till next weekend. Instead, you know what God's called you to do. You know what God called you to be. Be who God created you to be. With that said, let us pray. Father in heaven, thank you so much for this time, for your word that is true. Lord, we long for your return, for you to break through the heavens. And if we don't get to see it, we still get to see you. Put a fire in our hearts to strive, to push, to care, to confess, to repent. Lord, we love you. In Christ's name we ask all these things. Amen.